and uh, thank you everyone for supporting Bevan today. And you're okay now, Bevan. You're warming up. It wasn't too bad, was it? It's all right for me. We only got half wet, but you whole thing, wasn't it? Uh, just a few minutes. I'm going to speak to um, mainly to the older people, but hopefully. Um, Everyone will be able to, to listen in. Um, I don't know if this is a true story. I suspect it isn't. But there was, um, there was a, a story that in, in America, one of the states in America, um, a certain group of um, atheists decided they, they were fed up that all of, the, all of the kind of public holidays were basically connected with religious festivals. And so they demanded having a kind of a special day that wasn't uh, particularly connected with Christmas or Easter or something like that. And it went to the local federal judge, and he went away and thought about it, and he came out for his ruling, and he said, well, I've been reading in my Bible, and I'd like to decide, suggest that, um, that April the 1st would be a good day. Because in Psalm 14, it says, uh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> well, um, do you know, everything that we've been doing today, some people would look at and say is foolishness. You know, taking a young lad and throwing him under the water and, and, and standing up and singing these songs. It all sounds a bit daft, doesn't it, really, to, to the world. Um, and uh, Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, he actually said, the cross is foolishness to those who are dying. It does appear to be foolish how a hero can actually end up in a tragic death. And yet, uh, here we are today, celebrating 2,000 years on, uh, his incredible death and resurrection. But Paul goes on to say, actually, to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So it's either foolishness or it's the power of God. Now, foolishness is not necessarily being unintelligent. There are a lot of very intelligent people uh, around in this world. In fact, yesterday, you may have seen on your televisions the, the, um, the funeral for Stephen Hawking. Uh, what an incredible, incredible man. Uh, he could only move just one bit of, a, of, a, of a, his cheek, I think, and uh, that was all. He, but and yet he could do all that incredible thinking. And uh, how many have read *Brief History of Time*? I have. Uh, and uh, do you know how it ends? Uh, it's all about trying to find the grand unified theory, this theory that links together all of the main scientific theories. And he says, if we find the grand unified theory we shall know the mind of God. And I think that's rather significant, that as one of the best minds in the world, is saying, actually, we, we can, uh, fi- if we can find this, we can actually look in and see how th- that there is God behind all of these things. Now, actually, although Stephen Hawking did attend St. Andrew's Road Baptist Church in Cambridge for a time, I think at the end of his life, he, he, he didn't die a man of faith, um, but... It's not about whether we are intelligent or not. I would suggest that wisdom is about looking for the evidence and seeking truth. If you're wise, you seek truth, but you, you actually look for the evidence. Foolishness is actually presuming you know what the answer is and twisting the evidence to fit. Um, so I want to ask the question, uh, on, on Easter Day, who, who, were, who were the fools in the Easter story? Um, well, Maybe the, the Pharisees were the, were, were the fools in this story because they refused to believe in Jesus, even though they'd seen time and time again his miracles. They'd heard him speak. Every time they tried to c- catch him out, he won them over, uh, or at least he got one up on them. Um, like when they said, 
should we pay tax to, to, to Rome, to Caesar? And he got a coin out of his pocket, didn't he? And he said, whose head is on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. He said, well, give Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to him. That's incredible wisdom. And yet they wouldn't believe. And they twisted the evidence and they brought false witnesses against him in a trial to try to pin against him and to try to uh, convict him of something which he didn't do. But then, at the, at the crucifixion scene, which we saw, we would have read about in the previous passage, there was a Roman centurion, a hard man, a very uh, strong man who had to have done lots of uh, very cruel things, no doubt, in his life. And he stood there and he watched Jesus die on the cross. And Matthew talks about how it all went dark, and then there was an earthquake, and the temple curtain ripped. And when he saw all that, the Roman centurion said, surely this was the Son of God. He was a man who looked at the evidence before him and came to the conclusion, this was the Son of God. But let's just go back to the Pharisees for a minute. They didn't believe in Jesus. And in the passage just before we just read. They said, this deceiver, they called him a deceiver, um, and then he said, but, but he did say that he would die and three days later he'd rise again. Now, if they were really people of faith, they would have said, no, he definitely won't. But they said, well, what about if he does? Well, I know what, what we'll do. Um, his, his followers might grab his body and might pretend that he's risen from the dead. So put a, put a guard on the tomb. So the Roman soldiers stood there with their spears and, uh, and put a seal. So they sealed the tomb with something uh, that was going to stop the stone being moved uh, just to make sure that he didn't pop out you know, in the night. The question is, why would you guard a dead man? You know, when you're dead, you're dead. I think that's a quote from the parrot sketch, isn't it? The dead parrot sketch. If you're dead, you're dead. When people are dead, that's it. They don't pop up alive, do they? Um, So it's a bit foolish then to guard a dead man. But you know, um, one of my favourite bits in that passage, as uh, Bevan read, is this. The angel rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Did you notice that? You know, what a wonderful thing. That, that this stone, which is keeping Jesus in the tomb because he's dead, has been rolled back and then he sits on it. A kind of act of contempt. Hmm. Yeah? That's what I think of death. I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to put my bottom on it. Uh, because actually, the tomb was open and empty. And even that wasn't enough to convince the Pharisees. So what they did, they made up a story. And they said, well, we're going to try and get the guards out of trouble here. So if, if anyone, if anyone uh, asks you about it, you, you say, well, his disciples, his disciples came in the middle of the night while you were asleep. They rolled back the stone and they took the body and hid it and then started pretending that Jesus was alive. Does that make sense? Can you think what those disciples were like? just a few days before, they'd all run away and left Jesus. They were so scared and so broken and so terrified of what had happened to Jesus and and so utterly broken, they couldn't have even thought of such a plot 
And if they did, would they have kept that up? That pretense for all those years? How foolish. Let's have a look at the evidence very briefly. The four Gospels uh, tell us the story of the first eyewitnesses. And in any kind of uh, seeking for truth, we need eyewitnesses. Let's look at the evidence. First of all, the angel who meets the ladies at the tomb says, he's not here. The tomb is empty. So Christianity, the whole of what we believe, is based on an empty tomb. So you could say it's an empty religion. There's nothing in it. True, there is nothing in it. The tomb was empty. And all four Gospels agree that the tomb was empty on Easter Day. Um, But why? And then the angel goes on to say, he has risen, and then he says, just as he said. This was not meant to be a, a surprise. This was not out of the blue. Jesus, all along, well, ever since about halfway through the Gospel, had been saying to them, I will be killed, I will be crucified, but on the third day, I'll rise again. And it kind of hadn't really sunk in. And now, just as he said, it's happened. And they knew their, tes- their Bible, the Old Testament. And a lot of the Old Testament talks about what will happen to Jesus, and it's all come true. And the third thing the angel says is this. He's going ahead of you. I don't know how many of you have seen Jesus. Have you seen Jesus, Bevan? Not face to face. I don't think many of us have. But we've believed on the basis of the evidence that is before us. But he says, I am going ahead of you. So anyone who follows Jesus can be assured that wherever you go, he will be going with you. And he might pop up on surprising places on your journey. Maybe sometimes when you're at the bottom of a pit, when you're feeling the lowest of the low, when you're utterly fed up, utterly helpless, actually, it might be there that Jesus meets you. Bevan, I don't know what's going to happen to you in your life. Um, You've lived uh, nearly 12 years of it, uh, and you've got, hopefully, many, many years to go. But I can tell you this this truth, that Jesus is going ahead of you, and uh, that verse that you were given today, I will be with you wherever you go. Some of the disciples went to Galilee and they went back on a fishing boat and they met him there. Some of the disciples went to an upper room in Jerusalem with the doors locked because they were so afraid and Jesus met them in that room. And then on one occasion, 500 people met Jesus at the same time. There is enough evidence to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. And then the invitation from the angel, come and see where he lay. Come and have a look. You know, for people who just say, oh, I don't believe in Christianity, I don't believe in Jesus, just come and look. Look at the evidence. Read it again. And see what is written in the scriptures has affected millions of people down 2,000 years and continues to do so. Christianity is growing so fast, especially in Africa and China and places where the gospel has been tried to be stamped out by the authorities uh, who say there is no God and yet it's growing like mad across the world. There must be more to it than the fools would dismiss. 
And John, at the end of his Gospel, says, actually, I've, I've told you these things so that you might believe. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. Not many of us would have actually seen Jesus. Maybe you had a vision or something like that, but we haven't seen him. But we can believe. And indeed, some doubted when they met together at the end of the Gospel. They met with Jesus at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Some doubted. And Jesus just leaves uh, two commands for us. One, do not be afraid. Isn't that good? I've lost count, actually, how many times that appears in the Bible. I think it's the most common verse that appears in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Is anyone afraid here of something? I bet you are. I bet you're afraid of something. Spiders. Dentists. We've got dentists here, so be very careful. Uh, But we we actually, you know, we're all afraid of something. Um, Do not be afraid. That assumes that we are afraid of something. Maybe we're afraid of what's going to happen to us. Maybe we're afraid of dying. Maybe we're afraid of our health, how that might develop, whatever it may be. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Um, And the second thing that the angel says is, go and tell. This is not something we keep to ourselves. Now, Bevan, you're going to be back at your school in a couple of weeks. Bevan goes to a boarding school. So there's going to be boys there that say, oh, what happened to you in the Easter holidays? Hmm, I wonder what you'll say. And sometimes people mock us. They say, oh, you're a fool. You're a fool for believing that. It's rubbish. It's all made up. Religion's bunk. That's what people will say. But actually, you know, what we've been witnessing today, what we've been celebrating today, is based on evidence. And it's based on experience. Because there are people here who will say that Jesus has walked with me all my life, ever since I followed him. And in faith, we can say, he will walk with me wherever I'm going to go. In fact, Paul said he would rather be a fool for Jesus than wise. Now, he's using it in a kind of a strange way. But actually, Jesus calls us to be fools for him. In other words, to be willing to be... People to call us a fool for believing something because it's true. If I'm believing it just because I'm a vicar, uh, then I'm a fool. But if I'm believing it and preaching it because it's true, then I think I'd rather be a fool. Wouldn't you? So the the, uh, invitation then is to come and see where he lay and to go and tell. Now, you may have uh, been affected by this today. Maybe you'd never seen anyone be baptised and if that's something you'd like to talk to me about, or one of the people that you came with, then be very happy to talk to you about, uh, about what it means. Come and talk to Bevan uh, and encourage him. Uh, and and um, well, we're here today because of that amazing story. Now, we're going to sing a song as we uh, come to, uh, towards the end of our service, um, one that actually Bevan's mum and nan have chosen, uh, Amazing Grace. Now, this if you need any more proof, was written by a man called John Newton. And John Newton was a slave trader. He earned a lot of money by catching slaves in Africa, cramming them into overcrowded ships and taking them across to England and America and selling them as slaves. What a dreadful thing to do. And then one day, uh, he realised what an awful thing that he'd done. And he turned his whole life around and he met Jesus in that sense. And Jesus 
enabled him to, to, to turn away from that, and he actually became a vicar eventually. But uh, he, he knew that God had forgiven him even that most dreadful thing that he'd been doing, and his whole life was saved. And he wrote this wonderful hymn called Amazing Grace, which is about the amazing grace of God, that although we don't deserve it, he has given us Jesus as a saviour uh, and uh, set us free.